Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. You are now entering a spiz-free zone. No unicorns, no rainbows, no chiropractic fairy tales, just progressive talk for progressive chiropractors. So buckle up and get ready. We're moving the profession forward. And now, your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Forward, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Maybe DC, and my guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Langmaid. He's otherwise known as the evidence-based chiropractor, uh, along with other pseudonyms. I call him the nutcracker. <laughs> we'll get that in a little bit. Um, he is going to be joining me and many other speakers. I think we've got at least over a dozen speakers uh, at Forward KC, which is the first annual convention of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, June 1st through 3rd at Cleveland Chiropractic College. You can check out the lineup and all the people who are going to be involved and the topics and all that other stuff for continuing education at www.forwardthinkingchiro.com. Um, that's also hopefully where you're finding this um, podcast, if it's not on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, I was, hey, Jeff, I was in on your podcast, so I figured I'd just return the favor and bring you on to mine. So I made one just for you. Right on. Love it. Yes. Hello. And, Thank um, you for having me. And uh, I'm pumped to, for the event, obviously. And you got to get this up on iTunes and Stitcher, man. I know you're working it is. It's on iTunes now. And it, it, oh, it, nice. it already was on Stitcher. So we're, we're good to go. I'm a little slow on the uptake on some of the tech stuff. I'm kind of in that middle ground. Like uh, when I graduated from high school and all that, they were doing di- I, I don't even think there was internet when I was in high school. I think it was like the senior year they had dial up. And um, if you don't keep up on stuff, like if you take a year or two off, Let's say everything's so cloud-based and app-based now. You've got a learning curve. No uh, doubt. No so doubt. F- first advice to all the doctors out there, even the young ones, you've got to stay up on this stuff because eventually you're going to need it, as we'll get into here, for marketing and for uh, keeping up with research and applications to improve your practice and how you treat people. It, it, you, you can't get away from this stuff. Hopefully no one's denying the power of the internets at this point yeah i think it's pretty ubiquitous but um you're correct i mean there's so much information out there and you know people have kind of the information overload and be trapped in their newsfeed etc but with all of that comes just as many tools to kind of sharpen focus and make sure you get the information that you want and yeah it is super hard i know i just was speaking you know personally with a doc uh, this past week, who is up in the greater Philadelphia area, who is like getting back into marketing his practice after not having to do it for a long time. And he was a little bit overwhelmed. So yeah, good <laughs> bit of advice to, to keep up to date that the best that you can, you don't need to utilize every, every tool out there, but uh, having an understanding of it definitely helps and helps you be more efficient. I'm right there with that guy. I, I feel him. I know exactly what he's talking about. You're like, Oh my God. Um, before we get into marketing stuff and before we get into evidence-based stuff, I just want to get your feeling or your pulse or what you're thinking about what is on the top of your mind when it comes to the chiropractic profession right now. Like what, what are the things that you find yourself thinking about? That is a really good question. Um, for me, I think. Kind of like know, a what, state of the profession sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, 
undoubtedly, you know, I, I say this, I've said this before, and I don't mean it to sound contrite, but it's, you know, the breadth and depth of the research has never been better. So from a research perspective, I'll look at a couple different perspectives here. From a research perspective, the breadth and depth of research supporting what we do, in my opinion, has never been better and continues to accelerate in and out of chiropractic focused journals. So that should be super exciting, in my opinion, for every chiropractor, you know, but specifically for anybody, obviously, on the evidence-based side of things. The, the research out there is super solid. When I look at the chiropractic profession at large, I mean, I think there is uh, a lot of noise on the ends of the barbells, so to speak. So, you know, at the extremes of the profession, you know, from the most subluxation, you know, wellness-based docs, obviously, you know, that's, there, there's always noise there. On the other mm-hmm. side, from the docs who are like, that research study was missing the 17th person who didn't bend over, you know, and it's like, right. oh my gosh, guys, like, take it easy. Like, you know, everything is, has to be, you know, taken within the context of its publication and the context of, you know, history, experience, etc. But I think there's some loudness on each end of that. And I think that's interesting, you know, uh, in, in some context. But I also would say, to me, we still haven't touched what is the most exciting thing. And that is the fact of back pain. Ubiquitously, nobody believes back pain is the most exciting thing on planet Earth, right? I think we, most people can agree with that. But I don't want to hear chiropractors complain about taking care of back pain until we are getting nine out of those 10 people in our practices. So until right. our utilization goes higher, no matter what is said, we're still not doing a good enough job. Like when 90% of people are going to have some spine-related complaint at some point in their life, and when the research supports we should be a top-tier choice, if not the first choice, and our utilization hovers around 11%, we still have a lot of work to do. And with that, what gets me excited is the tools that are out there, kind of getting to the top of our conversation and where we can kind of go with it the ability to communicate with people like your unique message as a chiropractor, whatever that is, like if you're rehab focused, if you're, you know, pain, you know, treat and release, but whatever it may be, the tools out there to communicate to the people in your community have never been better, but you have to know how to utilize them to be able to get anything out of it. Yeah. I've always said that like uh, chiropractic is akin to one of those choose your own adventure books. You know, you, you get your diploma and you get your license to practice and then it's like, all right, so make up whatever you want along right. the way to tell your story. And, um, and that's where we get this large spectrum. And, and so many people beat down that perspective or that spectrum. And I beat that perspective or that spectrum down too, because I think that as you're creating your own story of what you do and how you do it and how you measure it on our just previous podcast, we had Greg Friedman on who's a documenting uh, master and we talked a lot about telling the story through documentation and outcome measures and things like that and and um, I think you can tell this story of how you care for people and how you approach it in many many different ways which is awesome about this profession like that's a positive thing um, but there are some people who tell that story or the tools they use to tell that story are either improperly utilized or there's an unethical way about it or it's just plain nonsense Right. And, and, and what side of the barbell you're on on that, um, it's kind of not part of this conversation, but um, 
I just think that one of the problems that we, you know, what, what would come down to is there's a lot of grass is greener on the other side of the fence, young doctors in the profession, if you know what I mean. Yep. Like there's a lot of negativity around being a chiropractor. And it's sort of like, to me, it's like, well, what the fuck did you think you were getting into when you signed up for this? That was your due diligence when you chose to be a chiropractor. Yeah, and, and, and now you're saying, well, I think I might want to be a PT or a DO. They, it seems like they got it easier. Like the money's, the money's not easy anywhere you go. Yeah. And those guys, the PTs and DOs, are, yeah, DOs and all that, they don't get to choose their own adventure along the way. And if you're that kind of person, maybe that's what you should have done in the first place. Yeah. But, but this, is a, this is a profession for creatives, uh, creative healers still, regardless, no matter how evidence-based or by the books you are, you still have to embrace the fact that you are in a profession of creative healers. Yeah. I mean, now, on the other end of the spectrum, you, you have to embrace the fact that you got to follow ethics and rules and you can't just make up the complete story as you go. You can't manipulate research to tell a story that's not true. Yep. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the, the truth, it, you know, is in between both. Right. I mean, it's right. like, Oh yeah, totally, know, totally. You know, so I, I couldn't agree more. I think the great thing, the great thing about chiropractic and it's always been, you know, is, is the art, like it is science and it is art when you're using your hands, you know, whether you use instruments, whether you're strictly diversified guns and whatever the technique, I don't care. Like it's, there is an art to it. And anytime that there's an art to a profession, there's a certain amount of creative latitude that goes with that. I mean, the same could be said for surgeons to a certain degree. I mean, there's an art to doing that certainly, but with I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of parallels between uh, surgeons and chiropractors, I think on a lot of levels. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a wide, there is a wide, there's a wide scope for where you can choose to go. Yeah. It's like when you get the degree, that's the first step, not the last, you know, and I think that sometimes is, you know, lost on people and you're hundred percent correct. I mean, everybody's getting squished. I mean, I've been in, you know, multidisciplinary practices for six years, it, some that are hospital based, some that are strictly out of network benefit based and outpatient from a surgical perspective. I can tell you this, everybody's getting squashed from right. insurance companies, from reimbursement standards, from conglomeration, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, the grass is, you know, not exactly exactly what you're basically exactly what you're saying. You know, the grass is not always greener, but it's easy to look and see, you know, those glimmers maybe where it's like, oh, but, but, if only, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, you know, just as with everything in life, you know, that is probably not exactly how it all works out. Well, I think when you're young, and uh, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life and you see a professional and the professional's got it going good and uh, it looks easy and you are uh, unconsciously incompetent of all the other things about that profession or what that guy or girl does in their life. You go, yeah, so I, I want to be a chiropractor. looks like that guy's having fun. And either he or she made it look real easy or they didn't want to tell you the bad parts because they're overly positive and they love what they do. Yep. But uh, it doesn't matter really what you do. Work is work. I mean, that's a physics equation. It's uh, it's distance over time, you know? Yep. And, um, and so it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to have to work. So you might as well pick something you love. And if you don't love what you're doing, you got to get out of the way. Yep. Yeah, that's, absolutely. Especially in this profession. There are plenty of people that love, they absolutely love what they do. Um, let them take care of patients and you just go do something else, be a garbage man or something, be a fishing guide. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the great, that's the great thing about life. Every, every day is a, is a new day to take a new opportunity or take a step in a different direction, undoubtedly. But with that being said, I think, 
like as we touched on at the top with some of like, you know, with the back pain, for instance, there's a need for, you know, there's a need for what we do. There's a need for great chiropractors. And, you know, now marketing your practice and, you know, developing, you know, that fan base or that audience or those people in your town who are going to know, trust and like you and actually come in as patients, that's a different story. But if we look right. at just from an epidemiological standpoint or just from a standpoint of, you know, how many people could we serve? We still are drastically under, you know, underutilized and there aren't enough chiropractors. But the problem is we haven't shown the demand with the utilization rate still hovering at 10%. So, hey, right. that's a lot of, that's a challenge, but that's a challenge where, you know, you see some practices that are doing fantastic, some practices that struggle, everything in between. So that's part of, you know, <laughs> maybe this is a bad way to put it. That's part of the fun and joy of it, right? As we kind of talked right. about it, you know, like figuring it out. Um, but there's stress that goes along with that, but anything worthwhile doesn't come easily. So, hey. There's, a, there's another missing piece to that, and that's, um, um, you know, all, all, all those puzzle pieces are there ready to be plugged into play. The research is there. We as a profession are there. We're ready to go. Um, like all that's laid out there. There's just that one little piece of sort of that systemic anti chiropractic uh, prejudice that's built within the system that needs to be broken down too. Yep. And, and that's not going to happen magically. I think that we need to find people within our profession who love to, combat that. Like we need people to come up and say, I want to be a leader and I want to bridge that gap between the medical side and the chiropractic side of the world and do it the right way. Yeah. Um, and, and as Dr. Friedman had mentioned in my previous podcast, his way of doing that is teaching people the language of communication with documentation. And of course you, I would imagine have quite a bit to say about that as well. Yeah, like bridging that gap. Yeah, it's it, the, well, the way that I would say it is that the onus is on us. There's not, we don't have, thankfully, we don't have like an army of farm reps going out and, you know, showcasing who we are and what we do to every, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry doctor across the great plains of America. So, you know, that is, you know, can be frustrating at times because, hey, you got to do it yourself. But the onus is ultimately on every doc, in my opinion to get out there and to bridge the gap. Now, a lot of docs, you know, it's, it can be intimidating. They might be introverted. It's not a skill set that's taught in school. So there's a lot of hurdles or, you know, false belief systems that docs will put in their way, you know, and, and there's a lot of easier things to do. It's a lot easier to maybe tweak that ad, you know, from your desktop computer, um, you know, that Facebook ad rather than get out there and, and really bridge the gap. But what right. I have seen and really what my passion point is, is that that's the opportunity. And that to me is the biggest opportunity with chiropractic. That doesn't take away from your B2C marketing and strictly a marketing terminology. Still do that outreach. But when you look and I see research that says 90% of primary cares are asked about chiropractic care, yet only 11% make a referral and 30% of their daily volume falls in line with what we should be seeing, those numbers just aren't adding up. So right. that can be frustrating, but to me, that also is opportunity. And with what Greg said, I mean, case notes and uh, you know, talking through a patient-centric care model, that is absolutely, in my opinion, one of the three legs of the stool to bridging the gap and building the relationship. Case notes are a great way to have social proof that you exist 
case notes are a great way to refine your target list, who's the popular docs with your patients, who are you co-managing with, in other words. And then the third component of that is ultimately showcasing the results that people get. You go into your practice, you work hard every day to help people get everything they can out of your care and out of their life, right? Improve function and quality of life. And you should showcase that. So showcasing the progression of the case note through eval, reeval, and discharge from active care. I mean, case notes are exquisitely important. And I think there's far too many chiropractors. The first step on that is gathering the primary care doctor information. If you're missing that upfront on 50% of your patients or more, then you're missing multiple touch points down the road. So oh, I guarantee it's more. I guarantee yeah. it's more. Yeah, it's a, it becomes a multiplier and uh, a lot of docs out there, that's like the low hanging fruit, you know, as a matter of putting it in the easiest place to start is sending, gathering the PCP information up front, make sure you're shooting 90% plus. If somebody leaves it blank, you or your staff ask the question, hey, John, I noticed you didn't fill this out. We'd love to have that information so we can keep a complete record up with you and for you. Um, just something simple like that, you should be able to shoot 90%. Now you have the opportunity to showcase the hard work you're doing through those notes. Again, social proof you exist and the fact that you're co-managing with these docs. And uh, you know, to me, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go off on one more small tangent there. To me, it's absolutely insane. I think about it outside of the chiropractic space, like just human beings. I'm a, I'm a doc, there's a doc across the street. We co-manage hundreds of patients, if not thousands, and we practice next to each other for 20 years and never meet each other. It's like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, I mean, it's, you know, it's just like, there's like life in human beings that doesn't make sense. But for, for some reason, that's like the complete norm, you know, for like, and um, Greg had one, uh, one uh, asterisk to case notes. Yeah. What is it? If, if you suck at notes, don't do it. <laughs> so could you go over kind of what a good case note would sort of look like? Cause we know we want them to be somewhat brief and easy to read. Yep. Um, so I would love to. So four key points. So four, four key points um, that you want to have on your case note. Patient name, date of service, diagnosis, treatment plan. I'll say it again. Patient name, date of service, diagnosis, treatment plan. So who's the patient? When they come in, what'd you find? What are you going to do about it? That's what you want on a case note. And you can put a little bit of a narrative around that but um, I hate to break it to anybody out there, but nobody cares if like the fourth time you did Kemp's test on this side, you like that's not relevant and it's about being pragmatic. So right. here, no one's going to know the, the McKinsey classification. Right. Like, and exactly. And here, and I just get down to being practical and pragmatic. So here's the, here's the scoop and here's why I believe brevity is key. One page or less. And those four items is the way to go because I saw it from the other side. So here's what would happen. You send the case note, let's say, let's say you send a case note, it's nine pages long. Like you just export your initial exam. It's nine pages long or whatever it might be. Um, that goes across to that other doc. Their med no, the doc doesn't look at it. The medical assistant picks it up and then puts it in the chart, whether it's physical chart or digital chart. Nobody looks at it. Next time the patient goes to that practice, it could be tomorrow, it could be next week, it could be next month, next year, the doc looks at the chart when he's standing outside the room ready to open the door and walk in. If he sees like nine pages of single spaced junk, he's gonna say, screw this and open the door and just say, hey John, how's it going? If that doc can clearly see John saw you last week for sciatica and you were gonna see him four times that quickly, now he opens the door and says, how are you doing over at Dr. Maybe's office? That's what you want because then you know 
as long as you're doing a halfway decent job, I think everybody listening would say, yeah, probably eight out of 10 patients, if not more, leave my office a little bit better than when they started, bare minimum. So if, the, if you give the doc the opportunity to ask that question, you know that statistically speaking, the patient's going to reinforce the decision and say, hey, I'm doing fantastic. He has such a great play, whatever. That's the opportunity that you want to capitalize on besides just, again, social proof of your name and then the progress through the results. So but, Yeah, and the social proof of the name is, is one of the, that, that's kind of, that's the big one. Yeah. Like, yeah. damn, this guy's name keeps coming up over and over again. He's seen all my patients. Yeah. I mean, again, the, 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 like the amount of docs who don't know who they're actively co-managing patients with, probably if we drove down that rabbit hole, would get scary. <laughs> you know, like, what, how do these people, like, how do you not know what's going on at the other place? Um, and the interesting thing about it is, is that for one reason or another, you know, for a lot of reasons, I should say, chiropractors have been kind of left outside of that. So I've also seen plenty of studies that came back on MD to MD, DO to MD, you know, as far as their exchange of case notes, it's, again, it's almost eerily similar to that referral number from before where it's like 90% plus are exchanging notes and then you throw a DC in there and it like drops off a cliff. So <laughs> the bar is pretty low to get your name recognized, you know, for a lot of these docs, even if you don't want to utilize anything else but a patient-centric model and the case note itself. Um, I'm tempted to switch gears completely Yeah. just because you mentioned something that, that now is in my head and I can't get it out. And that's uh, interdisciplinary practice Mm -hmm. just because I had so many people in our Facebook group, the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance, when the interdisciplinary group conversation comes up, I end up inadvertently getting messages like, cause I'll make a comment like that is not the most recommended way to practice youngsters. Right. And then I'll get a message like, why would you say that? Why is it not the most recommended way? And I know from being a young chiropractor at one point and not completely forgetting yet so far that it seemed like that would be the most awesome way to practice where you're with MDs and DOs and PTs and acupuncture and you've got all these great things going on. You're part of a team and I know it looks cool and it gives you some sort of self-validation, but I always say it's not the best way, but it can be a good way. What do you think about that? I agree with you and here's why. Let's take it let's take it out a few different ways. So number 1 if you decide I'm going to go I'm going to go three ways with this. So, so number 1 well let me take a steps to the side. It I it can be awesome but there are big huge disclaimers and caveats. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. You know, and I've done so, this by I've practiced in this manner plenty of times before so I've seen it the good and the bad. So yeah. Yeah, what you're going to say before you say it. If you, if you decide to do it yourself, you need to be understanding that you're going to take on the overhead, you're going to take on the risk, you're going to take on the logistics, and basically you're going to become a manager operator of the clinic and not a practitioner, or you better be ready to hire a true, not your, you know, not your sister-in-law, but a true businessman or woman to operate the helm of it. Because that's how you're going to be successful from a, from a business perspective in that model because the stakes go up as you increase, obviously, your overhead and ding, services ding, ding. offered and everything else. So Absolutely right. Yes. Know, that's one aspect of it that's a little bit dicey territory. So then we'll, we'll clarify that. If you want to be in a multidisciplinary practice and you're going to be the leader, you are not treating people anymore. You are running a system. 
Not unless you, if you want it to be successful, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you're running it and treating patients, then chances are you've got a few couple problems, <laughs> and right. they're going to be on the financial end um, because they're with the the volume that a multidisciplinary clinic can do, the collections that they can take in, and the moving parts. It really becomes a healthcare operation at that point, not a you know small chiropractic practice that's as easily understood. Correct. So, you know, those are some challenges, but hey, there are some people that excel in that, but you have to be able to and be understanding and or willing to either hand over the reins business-wise, in my opinion, or, you know, disassociate from the patient care and really go all in on the business side of it. So, the first one that I had experience with that failed, it was a, uh, the chiropractor was the owner and she could not get her hands out of treatment. Her ego was too tied into the fact that she needed the patients to like her and she wanted to see the patients and she wouldn't let the, the doctor, the chiropractor or the PT or anybody touch the patient unless she had some sort of contact with the patient as well. Control freak. Yep, it's is. not a place for control freaks, the multidisciplinary business. That's this, correct. The second yeah. one I saw fail, they added too many working parts. They had PT, chiro, MD, acupuncture, uh, massage therapy, a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, uh, and they added an esthetician mm. for beauty work. And they had a full store, not just a supplement shop. Or they had a full store that was selling clothes, artwork, <laughs> pottery, yeah. supplements, uh, too many working parts, too much overhead, failed. Yep. Yeah. Um, now, what does work really nice is a group practice scenario. Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely, I mean, yeah, you go down too many different verticals with, yeah, I mean, you're selling beauty products, you know, mugs, t-shirts, and trying to get acupuncture treatment on the way out the door. You know, that's, you know, that's a little bit difficult. <laughs> well, the, the problem with that, what I found personally, was you end up with patients who become shoppers. Right. You know, they try a little bit of chiropractic, then they go over and try a little bit of uh, acupuncture, and then they try, you know, it's not cohesive. Uh, the once you get too many wheels spinning, it's really hard to communicate what's going on with each patient. Um, it's not adjudicated in a way that 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 leads the patient through a process. It's just sort of like, yeah, try some of this and then try some of that, and then the person sort of just leaves and says, I don't know what I really got out of that at all. Yep. And, and they they go to somewhere else. I think that that's a big time challenge. And if we like, let's, and let's take an, let's take an example on the flip side of this. Like, let's talk about, you know, again, this is sort of a utopia, I think. And, and I've been in this position now multiple times is an employed physician with a large group. So you get the yeah. in, Oh boy. Like, oh, this is great. I get a contract. I get guaranteed salary. There might be a bonus structure. Um, you know, a lot of the same things hold true. You have to be, you become an employee. So that's, that's great in some capacities, right? You can pay time off potentially, you get you know, some financial security and that can be fantastic. But you also, you have to be very, in those sort of situations, you have to be, in my opinion, you have to be very, very savvy from a business point of view as well. Because now you're talking about contracts, now you're talking about understanding a corporate culture and how do right. you fit into a large scale corporate culture. And there are some docs that practice, those opportunities aren't, you know, robust, but there are some docs of those opportunities that exist. There are some docs that kind of just join that and then just operate as a true operator, so to speak. And then whatever comes down the pipe is whatever comes down the pipe to them. 
Meaning, right. you know, from a, not from a patient point of view necessarily, but from a, um, you know, contract point of view, from a business point of view. Um, or on the flip side, it's wading those corporate waters, which is a lot of reasons why many people get into chiropractic is to avoid that, or right. they don't have any experience in that world. So it becomes exceptionally challenging, exceptionally quickly. So you know, that's in, you know, I have a great deal of experience so we could probably go on for hours and I'll save you the, the war stories here on that. But you know, that there's a, there's a great deal of upside and downside to that, but you better be ready to put your business pants on if you're going to do that. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. At a, at a totally new level than maybe what, uh, you know, than, than what you've typically been accustomed to. Um, and on the third tier of that, I just want to, I'll, I'll give a little bit of a shout out because that has been on my mind lately, but I've been speaking with uh, a Dr. Dan Lord, and he's with uh, you know Crossover Health out there in California, and they're doing a really interesting thing. So here's where I think there could be opportunity down the road. I can't speak for Dan, but with Crossover, what they do is kind of corporatize. So they are in with large tech companies, and they're not fee for service. So this is interesting to me because it's not going to be for everybody. This isn't going to take over every practice of all time or anything like that. So this is not like, you know, but this is a different thing that's emerging. And what it is, is that instead of fee for service, the company, I'm just going to throw one out there. We'll just use a Google for an example, might hire a crossover to supply all services in corporate health settings for all of their employees. Right. What they do is they basically pay them to keep their employees on the job and feeling well. So in these sort of special use scenarios, as you know, again, this is still growing and there's a lot of, we'll see what happens, but there is a lot of excitement in that world because it's not a direct fee for service. So there tends to be a lot more of, I get to do what's right for the patient because truly it's almost like an outcome-based assessment where- right quicker a patient gets well and the more that they stay well, the better it is for everybody involved. So that's a really interesting thing. But and the more likely that Google will renew their contract based on the outcomes. 100%. You know, uh, uh, Kevin Christie, Dr. Kevin Christie is ahead of that as well with his cor corporate chiropractor program. Uh, maybe, I, I know I'll have him on the podcast as well. Maybe he can discuss that further if anyone's interested in that one too. But I think that is a trend that is possible in some places for sure. Yep. yep. Um, oh man, I forgot what I was going to talk about. You <laughs> got me on that one and now my brain's spinning. See, when you're a, when you're a, uh, you know, a nutcracker, you're like, oh, there's another nut to crack the corporate chiropractic side. And then there's this other side and this other side. Um, there's so many things to do in this profession. I'm telling you, it's an open book. Yep. You got you to gotta find the thing that interests you, though. You can do whatever you want here. You just have to find the, the thing that you feel passionate about the most and chase it down, man. Yep. I agree. Uh, and let's, um, let's, 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 I'll, I'll bring out a few examples while you kind of get your, your train of thought together. I know where it's at, but go ahead. Okay. So, like, you know, I, I don't care what number you put here, but 20 years ago, let's say, 20 years ago, how many people, how many chiropractors were officially part of every professional sports team? Probably zero. How many chiropractors were in the VA system? Next to zero. How many chiropractors were working even affiliated with any sort of hospital systems? Zero. I mean, the ability and the diversity of what we can do is absolutely fantastic. But a lot of it is not a yellow brick road. It's about right. figuring out where your passions lie, where can you really apply your knowledge set, and most importantly, how do you go about strategically 
going after your goals. And I think that's where a lot of times things can fall flat because it's like, like as we kind of talked about, you know, you're rudimentarily saying pie in the sky, I'd love to work for, insert something here. But it's like, okay, yeah, there's not a job application online to do that. Yeah, so how are you going to do it? Yeah. The onus is on you again as a practitioner to figure it out, to reach out to people. And that's what's cool about, in my opinion, about like groups like Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance, uh, you know, a variety of groups online and access to people is, you know, hey, there might not be a yellow brick road, but there probably are some people out there that you can kind of reach out to that are more than willing to give you a few minutes of their time and at least set you on track. Absolutely. I think um, I, I'm slowly evolving in a much more of a systems person. I think that's what you do the longer you practice is when you first start practicing, you're so uh, overwhelmed or, or obsessed with the patient care process. You know, uh, uh, how do I manage this sort of condition? How do I manage this? How do I make sure that the patient satisfaction is high and all that stuff? And then you start saying, okay, so how do I manage a system or a, a way of doing things instead of just focusing on, on just patient care, but you know, now I've got patient care good. How can I do lots of patient care better? Um, and and the more I get into systems now I see, you know, you might interview a guy who, who does, uh, orthotics, you know, like David Wiedemeyer DC and you say, okay, so there's a system for that. And I know, how do you, how do you do rehab? There's a rehab system and, and for the fitness gym hybrid model, there's a system and can you plug and play all these different systems into this thing and I see the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance as a bunch of uh, disparate systems that have been used and have been chugging along for so long that in my brain, that's the nut I'm trying to crack is how do we plug and play all those systems and create a thing, a a thing that is progressive chiropractic where now we can have the systems uh, you can pick and choose what system you'd like for your practice and then go. And, and I think there's a, there's a system for how you produce a career in, in the profession of chiropractic. And it, it pops up always in my head as the visual. Um, you read Robert Kiyosaki's uh, cash flow quadrant. Yes. And there's that image of the four, cor- the, the, the four corners. You know, it's like a, it's like a, a cross and in each cross there's a letter. Yep. And the letters represent being an employee versus being an, a self-employed versus owning a business and then becoming an investor. And, and in, through Kiyosaki's book, he tries to explain that that's your life process uh, as, as, a, as a, per, a working person. You know, you become an employee and then you eat, you eat shit and taxes as an employee. Right. And then eventually you sort of become self-employed and you're still kind of eating shit and taxes. And then you learn how to run a business. And once you own a business, the tax advantages and the financial advantages become huge. You've moved yourself to the other side of the board. Now you're creating jobs instead of being a job. And then eventually you start investing. And I think there's a process through that which chiropractors have to learn how to follow. You know, you have to learn how to manage the first part of the board if you even want to do that at all, which is how do you, how do you manage being an associate? Which, right. like you said, you have to understand how to play the corporate game, how to play the employee game. You have to understand how to negotiate contracts. You have to understand how to negotiate to pick the right place to get you started off in your early mentorship in your career. And then eventually you can start running things as an independent um, contractor, learning how to run the business side of, of uh, chiropractic practice. And then you start going into, the, into actually owning a practice and running a practice, maybe not entirely treating within the practice, but running one and running a system. And then eventually uh, 
you, you work on investment and an exit strategy. Um, because if you don't have an exit strategy in this game of chiropractic, I'm telling you young folks right now, you're going to end up 40, 50 years down the road still adjusting spines for a paycheck from an insurance company. Not that that's a bad thing. If you love treating patient, patients, that's not bad at all. But that doesn't mean you want to do that forever. Right. I think I'll see patients forever, but I think I'll just have like a VIP list of, of a few people that I love to see, uh, almost like as an expensive hobby, but not as my main source of bread throughout my entire life. Yeah, I, and I'd like, to, I'd like to go down that rabbit hole a little bit because I think that's really important and something I've thought about probably more in this last year than anything else is, you know, ultimately from a chiropractic perspective, you know, I, sometimes I see people and they're like selling a practice and it's like, I have 10,000 dusty charts. Right, um, yep. It's like literally worth zero dollars and zero cents. It's intangible. It's absolutely like, intangible. Absolutely, literally worth zero dollars. And I feel bad. You feel bad because, yeah, I mean, some people are busting their chops, they're busting their hump for 20, 30, 40 years. And maybe, you know, they just want to move on. Maybe they get injured, whatever the case may be, family matters, whatever. And they are looking to make a change and or retire. And there's nothing there. And it's, I think, you know, having that strategy from the standpoint of, you know, there's a million ways to go about it. I mean, not a million, but there's quite a few, right? You can own the building and eventually you theoretically have an asset, you know, that's a, that's a sellable asset from my perspective. You know, this come a full circle, keeping up to what we talked about at the beginning. I've said this time and time again, I would rather, now I'm not gonna throw a dollar amount on it. I'd rather purchase a practice that had an email list of 500 people with 50% open rates, 25% click-through rates that they touch base with twice a week and have for the last five years, I would pay more for that practice than I would somebody with 50,000 charts. Yeah. Because, you know, because it's about the stream. It's about the opportunity to communicate and engage with those people. And there's value there. But having dusty old charts is definitely not the way to go. Now, if you can build a business and grow and scale a business to multiple locations, have employees under you, you know, creating dollars without you pushing down the high spots, <laughs> that's a really right. dated way of saying it, then mm -hmm. there is, um, there is a, you know, that's ultimately where you want to get to from a safety and security standpoint, or at least be able to have a tangible asset similar to a, a, a location to be able to cash out a physical building to be able to cash out on the back end. And, you know, again, as you said, there's some docs out there that they want to treat until their last day on earth. Fantastic. But I still think that there can be some smart decisions made along the way to ensure that they can do that comfortably and because they want to, not because they have to. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can create a whole other different way. I mean, investments, other business investments. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways to create an exit strategy that don't have to be chiropractic centric. Well said, yeah. Or practice centric. But, um, you know, I, I, I just, I want these young chiropractors who seem so hyper-focused on uh, A, the negative, but right. B, what they don't have um, to see part C, which is there is so much you can have if you plan properly and work the system. Yep. Yeah. And it's about meeting people, right? I mean, it comes down to this same Always. whole thing. Like, you know, Always. who is your, who is your network? Who can you lean on? Who will put in a good word when the time is right and putting the time in and investing in those relationships. And I'll tell you one thing, tried and true. I've done it myself. It's how I got started in the first multidisciplinary group that I joined. 
I shadowed a doc there pretty relentlessly. So guess what? At a certain point in time, I then met with the chief operating officer, the COO of the company and the director of rehab in the company and had a good interview with them. I felt good about it. Well, guess what they did? They went back to the doc that I'd been chatting with and like, what do you know about this guy? What do you think of that guy? Well, now that I had built a relationship with that doc, he's like, oh, Jeff, he's awesome. Yeah, definitely bring him on board. But it's, you know, yeah, it's all the, the people. It's about actually touching skin and making eye contact. Yeah. And just kind of getting out there. And everybody knows chiropractic school is super expensive. And everybody knows that the landscape is hard after you get out. But uh, in line with what you said, it is a choose your own adventure. And taking strategic action steps towards your goal. And sometimes the goal might be hazy at the end. You don't need an exit strategy from the first day necessarily to get practice. Like and be overwhelmed with things that then it's like, you know, you're just inactive because of like so much stress of the you know, the impeding 70 years of your life or something. But taking a small action step each day and asking questions of of people who have traveled the road or at least traveled a parallel road is super important. That's going to lead into the next part, which is that this podcast is probably closing down right now. However, I think it's very important to discuss that that marketing or networking part that is hands-on or face-to-face, particularly where you come, your expertise comes into play, which is marketing to medical doctors. So if we can do a little part two here where, where you kind of go through the process of actually meeting a physician and running that meeting through a physician. Uh, would you mind doing that for me? I would be happy to do so. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do that on the other side. It's a part two. You can find part twos to our podcast on the Forward Thinking Chiropractic website, uh, forwardthinkingchiro.com. It's in the blog section and it's for members only. So if you're not a member, become a member, put in your password. You'll see part two to this podcast where we're going to go a little bit deeper into networking with medical doctors and the what's, why's, how's, and when's of actually getting in that office and looking face-to-face with those folks and getting them to refer you patients. So uh, for those who aren't following us along, uh, this will be goodbye, I guess. Dr. Jeff, it was a pleasure, even though I'm going to talk to you in like two minutes. (laughs) my, My pleasure. I hope everybody out there, if anybody has any questions, Jeff at the evidence-based chiropractor.com. If I could be a resource for anybody out there listening that maybe is a little bit confused or wants a little bit of clarity or would appreciate any insight that I could give, I'd be happy to give it. So never hesitate to reach out. Jeff at the evidence-based chiropractor.com. You are a mentor and a mensch. Hey, uh, you're going to be at Forward Thinking, uh, uh, sorry, Forward KC, June 1st through 3rd. What are you going to talk about? I will be there. I will be there talking about exactly some of what we're going to talk about on the other side here. I'm going to talk a little bit about research, its application in practice, and how do you bridge the gap with other healthcare providers in your community to showcase your office in a way that's ethical, in a way that you can be proud of, and in a way that is systematized and easy. That sounds like a lot, but basically what we're going to talk about is MD marketing, how you can get more happy, shiny faces into your office and be happy about the way that you do it. And I'm happy to do any sidebars on marketing stuff online as well. So I'm going to be there hanging out and hanging tough with you and everybody else. So looking forward to it. Sweet. Okay. Hold on.